Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. This week for Spirit in Action, we're going to have fun while learning about some excellent work because my guest is Robert B. Jones Sr., Typically, folks would add a rev, as in reverend, in front of that name, but I tend to avoid honorifics like that, or like your honor, or even sir, due to my egalitarian principles. But in this case, the rev might be helpful to call attention to the fact that Robert B. Jones Sr. is pastor of an inner-city Detroit Baptist church, in addition to the wonderful and inspirational music he does from the stage. Robert is an expert in the blues, but he can really transmit the beauty of music through all kinds of genres, but sharing a particularly rich assortment of folk or Americana music. He does this both individually and sometimes with Matt Watroba through what they call common chords, celebrating our commonalities instead of distancing one another because of differences. Robert is all about building bridges of understanding using the magic of music. Robert B. Jones joins us today on the campus of the University of Toledo, Ohio. Robert, thank you so much for joining us today for Spirit in Action. Thank you. I'm really honored to be here. I appreciate you coming down from Detroit to Toledo, where we're at. How was your trip? How did that go? It was great. It was great. Toledo is almost a suburb of Detroit, although you never hear people in Toledo admit it. But we're pretty familiar with making that jog up and down 75. Toledo's a great city. So I have you here today for Spirit in Action. I became aware of you through David Tamulevich, who manages for you. He helps bookings and other connections to help promote your music, which you've been doing for 30 years. But I have you here for Spirit in Action because, amongst other things, you're a pastor of a church— And you're not just doing music because it's great music, which it is, but you're doing music because I think you want to change the world. In your own words, what would you say the purpose of your music making is? That's a multifaceted question that really deserves, I guess, a multifaceted answer. One of the things that music is at its highest point is that it reaches across boundaries of language, culture, nationality, to hit people in the heart, in a sense, to bypass the brain. Recently, I was in the presence of a woman singing French songs, songs of the voyageurs, songs that had come from her background as a girl who was born in an an Acadian community. In other words, I didn't understand a word she said, but the spirit was there, and it was amazing. So one of the things that I think music does is it it transcends all those things that we think are the things that really communicate an idea, but they sort of don't necessarily. I think another thing that I love about art and music is that there is a universal need for it. I mean, we need art, we need music, we need beauty in our lives, and People don't necessarily recognize that. If we we found a guy who could play music all day but couldn't read and write, we'd say, oh, man, that guy's got a pretty unbalanced life. But if we found somebody who could read and write but could not do anything artistic, we'd say, oh, yeah, he's a pretty normal guy. 
which is unfortunate because you, you kind of need all of that to be a well-balanced person. And so what I've been blessed to do is to go from being a person who simply enjoyed music for its sake, trying to teach myself how to play, to a person that gets paid to do music for entertainment, to a person who gets to teach about music, to a person who now recognizes that, to a certain degree, music is healing. So that's a big journey. But I think all of those things are reasons that I find myself as a musician and blessed to be one in 2018. I'm kind of assuming that your mission with respect to music evolved over the years. Oh, yeah. So maybe about 15 years ago, you became a pastor. Did becoming a pastor in there change the music in you? Oh, Lord, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I used to do songs just for the entertainment value of the song. So if there was a, you know, there's a song I used to do called Big Leg Woman. You know, it's like, I don't want no skinny woman. Give me a gal got lots of me. Cause when I get to hugging my woman, long, you know, I sure don't want to have to stop to eat. You know, and that that was you know it was cool, right? It's homage to ladies who have a bit more upholstery, and it was fun. But then after I became a pastor of a, of a church, I started to look for. Strangely enough, church is one institution where folks can tell you what not to do, but they can't tell you how to pay for it. So you ended up with people saying, "I don't think you should continue to play music." Well, it took me I don't know how many years to get playing in my fingers for me to like throw it out now because I'm a pastor of a church or because I belong to a club or because of anything else that you came up with. I wasn't hearing that. But then what I did do is I started to realize how many men and women had been in the position that I was in, had been people who had made music, maybe secular music. But then when faced with having different set of responsibilities, the music changed as they changed. And then I started looking for people who, you know, had that same experience. Reverend Gary Davis, Blind Willie Johnson, you know, Sister Rosetta Tharp, who could go back and forth between sacred and secular music. And started to realize that really they used the same techniques. They used the same chords. You know, it's like gospel music and blues music. It's not that far apart. In fact, if there were no blues music, there would be no gospel. But it takes a while to get there and to understand that. So you've got an organization, an effort, a program called Common Chords. Would you describe for our listeners here for Spirit in Action what, you know, when Robert Jones is coming in to present that program, why are people going to want you there to do that? Well, like I said, I'm blessed that I've gone from being a consumer, just a person who loved playing music, to becoming an entertainer, from that to being a teacher going around doing workshops in various music camps and talking about specific styles, to this idea that music is healing and that it breaks down barriers between communities. My musical partner, Matt Watroba, and I, on the way to so many jobs, have had these long rides in the car. And we'll get to a place and we'll do our music and people will tell us, I enjoy the stories. I enjoy the relationship that you guys have between you as much as I enjoy the music. I learned some things. You guys expressed 
this American music in a way that I hadn't thought about it before. And so we started really talking about that idea of chords that we have in common. I think I, I told you earlier that when Matt and I first met each other, he was a folk musician, I was a blues musician. Somebody put us together in a performance in a music store thinking that, you know, what will happen when matter meets antimatter? And we ended up playing country music. I think music. it's supposed to explode. It's supposed to explode. <laughs> it didn't explode. It blended. And we ended up playing country music all night because country shares the same three chords between blues and folk. And that was our common ground. So for over 30 years of friendship, we've talked about that. So, a short story long, I guess. We have a nonprofit called Common Chords. The idea being that we help to connect communities through art and music. And one of the things that we do is we never say the word diversity, but we represent diversity. And that here's a you know white folk musician from Plymouth, Michigan. Here's a black blues singer and singers gospel from Detroit, Michigan. And we get along and we're friends. That's one message. But another message is that if you can tell your story, it gives you more power for those who want to hear your story. We're kind of like all of these little isolated islands and, and we're represented broadly by our culture or whoever, you know, whatever somebody thinks of us. But when you take that story and you give that person a name, when you frame that in terms of humanity, all of a sudden that person or that situation becomes a person, becomes representative of a person. And that changes how you view that person, and then that changes how you view that race or that community or however it's been packaged. And where are the venues that you and Matt Latrobus share common chords? We have played and been invited to share an unbelievable number of places. We often find ourselves in schools, elementary schools, middle schools, high schools. Actually, high schools are some of the most fun places because the more you bring to the subject matter, the richer it is. Colleges, senior centers, prisons. We were in Milan Prison Correctional Institute and we're talking to these prisoners, and they're telling us their story, how they came to be here, how I can write a folk song about how I got here. And then all of a sudden there was a lockdown. <laughs> so we had to grab our picks and be escorted mm -hmm. out of the prison. I worked in reform schools, the Maxi Boys Home Correctional Institution, Waterford School for kids who are waiting trial, kids who whose parents have been taken away and they're institutionalized. Churches, almost anywhere that has that idea that we want to be able to talk about stories and to share stories and to open ourselves up to artistic expression. Almost anywhere is good for Common Chords. I was going to ask you about churches, if that was kind of a venue. I, I could definitely see it in a Unitarian Universalist church. That's a perfect kind of setting for this kind of analysis. Uh, how about your home church? Would this be an appropriate place to haul you, know, you and Matt up in front? Matt has been to our church, and we've done some of that. Unfortunately, I think sometimes the mainline churches, it's very hard for them to break out of whatever they think they believe because it, it causes you to have to step back from your assumptions about the other person, maybe more so than, say, a Unitarian church or even, you know, even a, a gathering of Quakers. 
I think folks who tend to explore tend to be better at framing and telling and hearing those stories because we're not instantly offended by the things that you might hear. Some people have some things to say that will stomp on your sensibilities, but they are still important things to say. My perception was that it might be received as off-message in a more mainline church. That, you know, well, no, we need to be talking about the grace of God and Jesus as opposed to some doing good in the world, if you will. Right. But strangely enough, if you read the scripture, Jesus, how many miracles are there in the Bible? Maybe 65, maybe 70, including Old Testament. How many words are there in the Bible? How many conversations are there in the Bible? When Jesus meets a woman at a well, they have a conversation. And she has some ideas. He takes her ideas and opens them up and makes the things that she knows or the things that she thinks she knows. He helps her to find the truth. So it's funny that we in mainline churches, mine included, say, here, here, here's the truth. Take it. But Jesus himself would sit there and have a conversation with somebody who everybody agrees is a sinner, but Jesus is sitting there talking to him, right? It's like, you know, there's the, the story of the tax collector who climbs a tree so that he can see Jesus coming down the road. And everybody's like, hey, man, that's a publican, man, you know. And Jesus tells him, come down, right? Come down, Zacchaeus, because today I'm going to be staying at your house. Why? Why is he staying at his house? Holy. Holy. You know, (laughs) why would he stay with him? And so if you really read the scripture, the template is there for us to have those conversations. But we just don't want to have them because they're uncomfortable. So you and Matt do have these conversations in front of a group and you share some kind of music. Give me an idea of what this would include. Well, let's say, for example, you've got right now in this country, there is a big deal about immigration. Right. Who belongs here? Who doesn't belong here? Who, you know, let's make America great again. How do we make America great? Well, we keep the countries that have the poor, the hungry, the huddled masses yearning to be free. Let's keep them out. We want Scandinavians. Right. Right? And as far as I know, Scandinavians are not beating down the door to get into this country. So if we start to explore those things, it becomes instantly political. It's like, oh, you, you know, fuzzy-headed liberal or, or, you know, let Trump be Trump or whatever, right? Instantly tends to freeze the conversation. But then you'll think about somebody like Woody Guthrie, who comes along and hears about a plane crash that happens. He takes that and turns it into a poem. And then somebody else takes that poem and turns it into a song. And you give people a name. This plane crashes think it's 57 migrants being deported back to Mexico. And when the plane crashes, you get the pilot's name, you get the co-pilot's name, you get the pilot's wife's name, and 57 deportees. And it becomes, the crops are all in, and the peaches are rotting. The oranges are placed in their creosote dumps. We're flying them back to the Mexican border to pay all their money and we back again. Goodbye to my one, goodbye Rosalita, adios, 
mis amigos, Jesus y Maria. You won't have a name when you ride the big airplane. All they will call you will be deportees. My father's own father, he waited that river. They took all the money he made in his life. My brothers and sisters come work in the fruit trees. We rode on the trucks till we took down and died. Goodbye to my one, goodbye Rosalita. Adios mis amigos, Jesus y Maria. You won't have a name when you ride the big airplane. All they will call you will be deported. Our work contracts have... Oh, that's another Well, I'll skip ahead, right? Skyplane caught fire over Los Gatos Canyon. Fireball of lightning that shook all our hills. Who are these ones all scattered like dry leaves? Radio says they are just deportees. Is this the best way we can grow our big orchards? Is this the best way we can harvest our fruit? To fall from the sky and to rot on the top soil, be known by no name except deportees. Goodbye to my one, goodbye Rosalita, adios mis amigos, say Susie Maria. Don't have a name when you ride the big airplane. All they will call you will be deported. All they will call you will be deported. So, if you give the name of Juan Rosalita, all of a sudden you un- you understand these are people. They deserve to have a name. They may not all be good people or great people or sterling people, but you understand that at least you have taken the conversation out of the dogmatic Republican versus Democrat into talking about people and how do people deserve to be treated. You know, and what it, what makes a country great is how it treats people. At least that's some people's point of view. I'm, it happens to be my point of view and yours. I understand that. There's some people say what makes country great is how many dollars you're making. Yeah. But then if we are, you know, the same people who say this, we're believers, right? We thump on the Bible. And Jeff Sessions misquotes or misapplies Romans about how we are supposed to be obedient to those who have charge over us without understanding the meaning of that scripture is not directed at the government, but is directed as those who pray for you, who have charge over you, who have spiritual authority in your life. And the fact of the matter is that when you read the word, the prophets do the same thing that Woody Guthrie does, that Bob Dylan does, that Paul Robeson did. It's like when everything is going well and you have lots of money and and everybody's celebrating how wonderful we are, then up pops Isaiah who says, but God isn't pleased. 
You still have the poor. You still have the orphans. You still have the fatherless. You still you send up your sacrifices, but God does not want them because your heart is dull and your ears are dull of hearing. I want compassion. I want you are made great by your compassion and how you treat those who are less fortunate than yourselves. Sodom and Gomorrah is not destroyed because of sexual impurity. Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed because of its lack of hospitality. When a stranger shows up, you decide to molest him, and God won't have it. I guess it depends on how you look at it. It's, it sounds like a pretty radical theology, but then Jesus was radical. You know, you wear a lot of different hats. Sometimes you're Robert Jones up on stage singing, mm-hmm. and sometimes you're in a pulpit preaching. I don't know if they call them pulpits. In yeah, oh yeah. Ba- okay, good. I, I, pulpit. <laughs> okay. <You're> right. <laughs> Those can be very different hats and different choirs to whom you're preaching, if you will. What are the common chords between those different venues? I think you have to realize at some point in your life that you cannot be multiple people. You can only be one person. Now, that one person may have different aspects. I mean, I'm sure that my kids will tell you that I was the parent who, when you showed up with the book report (laughs) that was triple spaced with 16-point type, I'm the parent who said, do it again. (laughs) Oh, Dad! And my wife was a parent who was the equivalent, but when it came to math. I mean, my son and I are now friends, but we were not friends growing up. And still, sometimes we're not friends, but it's like, I'm your father, I'm not your friend. But of course, I'm my son's friend. Of course, I, you know, at some point you're the friend. Sometimes you're, you're the provider, sometimes you're the, the protector, sometimes you're the one who needs the care. But you're still the same person. So if you're going to try to be in a club and you're sitting there knocking back liquor in the club and then you dare say, well, no, I'm in the pulpit and I'm righteous. Well, that doesn't work. You need to be the same person no matter where you are. But understand that that person comes from a number of different aspects and has different responsibilities. I think a pastor has the role of being a preacher and a prophet, and a pastor. The preacher preaches the word as best you can understand it and as best the Holy Spirit reveals it to you, unvarnished, knowing that sometimes when you're preaching it, it hits you square in the mouth too, right? The pastor cares for the flock, cares for the congregation. You can't necessarily respond to each and every boo-boo that somebody has, But there are times in your life when you need somebody who will come and see about you and care for you in a way that's unconnected to the affection that you may or may not have for this person. In other words, there are people in my congregation who have passed away or have had relatives who died. And I show up and they go, I can't believe you're here. And it's like, where else would I be? Just because we don't get along all the time does not mean I don't care for you as a pastor. And that other P is the prophet. It's like you have to preach the unpopular message. If the word of God says that God is not pleased and you're complacent with everything that's happening and, you know, just give me my Internet and give me my beer (laughs) and give me my, you know, American Idol. 
oh, what a good boy am I. I think the prophet has to say, now more is required of all of us. Any chance you want to share with us your least popular sermon that you ever gave? (laughs) I don't know if the least popular sermon, what the least popular sermon that I ever gave was. I think there are components of my sermons that kind of hit people the wrong way. It's like when I was a young Baptist minister, pretty much comfortable in where I was and who I was. I was invited by a bunch of Unitarians who had broken away from a main church in Lansing, which is about 80 miles from Detroit, the state capital. And they broke away from that church because they didn't see themselves represented in the bigger church in Lansing that they went to. They were the ones who were in mixed marriages. A couple of of them were lesbian, raising kids that they had adopted and, and all this kind of stuff. And they break away from the church, and then they realize they have no black minister. They have no minority minister. And they call the seminary, and they got nobody in the pipeline. So they say, well, there's this guy who, like, sometimes performs at our Unitarian churches, and he's a minister, and he might be available. So I ended up, for about a year and a half, driving those 80 miles about every other week to preach to Unitarians. (laughs) And that opened me up. That was an amazing experience. I mean, there were lines that I would draw. I'd say, look, I can't help you. You know, if the guy who's got the two wives and he wants to have the service to consecrate, I can't do it. I can't do polygamy. In fact, I can't do gay marriage. I could not do it. But at the same time, I saw that these people were loving And we're loving toward one another and we're loving toward the children that they had adopted. And they were people in a relationship. Love is love, right? So there were areas to this day, there are areas that I can't go into. But at the same time, I recognize that there are things that I just don't know. I have to think about those things. I've said to my congregation, I would trust a Muslim who prayed three times a day more than a Christian who never prays. Did they all yell amen? They kind of looked at me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can tell when you're hitting that foot and it's like, <laughs> where do we get him? But that's, that's who I am. And I think over the years, they have come to appreciate that he might be crazy, but he's ours. He's our crazy. He's that's our good. Crazy. Well, we're crazy about your music, and I'm pretty sure that when you and Matt get up there as Common Chords performing, you're not always just doing this with Matt. Are you, no, no. You we, do we do it separately. Matt's emphasis, I think we ended up figuring out that we complement each other. Sometimes we're on the same stage, and we're usually when we're on the same stage, we're trading American music. We're talking about The blues leads to the country, and country leads to rock and roll, and rock and roll leads into... That's often our presentation on the stage. But when we do Common Chords individually, Matt's emphasis is on community singing. I think he is a child of Pete Seeger. Pete sort of laid hands on him before he died and said, the most important thing I ever did is taught people not what to sing, but how to sing, to just come forward and singing is building community and getting all of that out of there. I think I was touched by Mike Seeger, Pete's little brother, who kept alive all these bizarre, obscure 
styles of music played on everything from harmonicas to fiddles to banjos to quills. So I really love that idea of taking a traditional song, trying to get to the essence of it, and then sharing it with an audience, and then inviting that audience to do what you want to with it. Examples? I'm trying to figure out what Mike Seeger has that Pete Seeger didn't have. Well, Mike and Pete, you know, they they were half-brothers, right? But Pete was about taking, for example, Pete would take a song that was very ornate and make it simple so that everyone could, you know, he'd tell the story like Abi Yo-Yo. Abi Yo-Yo, Abi Yo-Yo, Abi Yo, Abi Yo, Abi Yo-Yo. Everybody can sing it, right? Mike was a guy who would find a song and he would work on that little weird obscurity that this song has, this nuance that gives you insight into the culture that produced it. So he's like doing the stuff that not everybody can sing or that not everybody can play. If you take the blues, for example, that, tw- that you know, three chords, you could play a song like this. I'm broke and I ain't got a dime. I'm broke and I ain't got a dime. I'm broke and I ain't got a dime. Everybody has hard luck sometimes. But the way that Blind Lemon Jefferson played it was I'm broke and I ain't got a dime I'm broke and I ain't got a dime I'm broke and I ain't got a dime Everybody has our love sometimes Same song, but lots of little hitches and and stuff going on. So the first version would be a Pete Seeger and would be how Mike Pete, Seeger. Exactly. And, and what would Peggy Seeger? I've had her uh, my Peggy, I, I don't know. Peggy's Peggy's somewhere in the middle. I guess she's she's like hitting an, an emotional note. When I hear Peggy's Peggy Seeger singing, you know, I hear this idea of just like reaching the heart. Maybe a little closer to Pete's side than Mike's side, but they're all one big, amazing family. And I don't know about Charles Seeger. He was a whole different ball of wax. But basically, you know, in answer to your question, Matt and I do things together and then we do things separately that try to feed the whole philosophy of Common Chords. You said that Matt is really, you know, like the, he's been touched by the hand of Pete Seeger and he's carrying that. Whose hand touched you? Well, part of it was Mike, Mike Seeger. I got to spend a week with him at a music camp in New Hampshire. And it was at that point, at the end of that week, I tell people jokingly, I've decided I would much be the black Mike Seeger than to be the short Taj Mahal. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, Mike is, is one of my influences. But then I bring around, there's these great people, the Sun Houses, the God who... So many people, Mississippi, John Hurt, all of those people and that idea of the envelope of American music, especially African-American traditional music, including 
you know, Sam Cooke, including just people who have written songs and have perspectives that make you stop and go, hmm. I'll tell you a quick story. I was invited to the National Storytelling Festival in Jonesboro, Tennessee, which is huge. You take a city, a town, this maybe got 1,200 people in it normally, and all of a sudden it expands to 20,000 people because everybody's coming to hear these nationally known storytellers and Donald Davis and Bill Lepp and all these great storytellers. But the first one of those I was invited to, it was a woman by the name of Miss Catherine Wyndham who was a a daughter of the South. She was this little white lady, maybe, I think, 89 years old when I first met her, standing ramrod straight, no walker, no stick, no nothing. And she's telling stories about growing up in Selma, Alabama, and how her father and she used to interact with the African-American folks in that very troubled city. You know, I grew up thinking Selma seeing Dr. King getting dog-sicked on him. She's growing up talking about what a wonderful place Selma was. And she could tell a story. You'd be crying, then you'd be laughing, then you'd be crying. And it's just like, it's just her storytelling, right? She would end one of those storytelling sessions, almost every session she would end with, you've got these stories, your family stories. You've got to tell them. If you lose them, you'll never get them back again. And wouldn't that be a shame? So I started thinking about my great-grandfather, who's from Conecuh County, Alabama, uh, like down by the Gulf of Mexico. And so I started putting into verse this story my grandmother told me about Papa. It goes like this. Necker County, Alabama, 1925. Will Cunningham rode into town to get his week's supplies. Now, Will was a black man who fought in World War I. And he faced smoke and powder, but he never chose to run. He had a favorite scripture whenever times got mean. It was 2 Kings chapter 6, around verse 17. And it helped him back in France when he was far from home. Saying, Lord, open up our eyes and see we do not stand alone. But he did not pick his battles and he never chose his friends. When he got up in the morning, didn't know how the day would end. But there were angels all around him and chariots on the wind. And those who stood with him were more than those who rode with them. Now, Will was my great-grandfather, and he never learned about When other black men would step aside, Will never figured how. He worked for Ball Smack Binion, who was a hard and wealthy man, because everywhere you were standing, you were on Mac Binion's land. Mac Binion was a white man, but all white men weren't the same, and some would curse you and abuse you and call you out your name. That's the kind Will met that morning when he stepped into the store. Just a ball of hate and evil and very little more. But he did not pick his battles and he never chose his friends. When he got up in the morning, didn't know how the day would end. But there were angels all around him and chariots on the wind. And those who stood with him were more than those who ruled with them. 
Will Cunningham met evil, he looked evil in the face. Evil says this is the kind of nigger you gotta put back in his place. So he slapped my great-grandfather to teach him by degrees, but Will answered him with a straight right hand that knocked evil to his knees. It was still Connecticut County back in 1925, and you couldn't whoop a white man if you wanted to stay alive. So Will got back on that wagon and he headed out for home. He didn't want Henrietta and the babies to meet the storm alone. Didn't pick his battles and he never chose his friend. But he got up in the morning, didn't know how the day would end. But there were angels all around him and chariots on the wind. And those who stood with him were more than those who ruled then. Well, evil got his mob together and they passed around the cup. He said, along about midnight, we'll go string that up. And evil had the rifles and evil had the rope. Will had a shotgun, but he didn't have much hope. Then Boss McBinion showed up with his pistol in his hand. He said, I heard y'all gonna try to lynch my hardest working man. I don't know who the worthless trash think you come to kill, but I'll gladly shoot the man who lays a hand on my man Will. And one by one they dropped their guns and went into the night. We'll live to see another day, one hopeless fight. In the word of God from World War I, it saved him once again. Cause he did not pick his battles and he never chose his friends. Will died in a nursing home at the age of 91. Standing at the funeral was the one who wrote this song. And I tell that old man's story just to pass along that even when you're by yourself, you never have to stand alone. But you can't always pick your battles or always choose your friends. When you get up in the morning, don't know how the day will end. There are chariots all around us and angels on the wind. And he who stands with us is more than those who ride with them. Connecticut County, Alabama, 1925. Will Cunningham rode into town to get his week's supplies. Beautiful song performed here by Robert Jones. It is Will Cunningham, and it's on his recording, Guitar Evangelist. And that's you and Bernice Jones doing that. Why does Bernice Jones look so much taller than you on the cover? Because <laughs> I was sitting down and she was standing up. <laughs> okay. The great equalizer, a chair. Yes, yes. I was sitting there playing the guitar, and she was standing up being all regal next <laughs> to me. She just retired. Well, we were talking earlier. She just literally retired after working 36 years for a public utility. And so I have plans for Sister Jones. I told her, you know, after you get off your vacation, because I really enjoy it when she and I travel together, and we have a gig coming up in Lunenburg, Nova Scotia in August. But I would really love for more of the world to hear her voice because she's really an extraordinary gospel singer. And I just, you know, I'm just a captain to her, to Neil. 
Well, that song is now. Is that a song that you would do on stage with Matt Latroba, or is this part of Common Chords when you're alone? How does it's that a work? tool of Common Chords. If that song pops up, you know the need for that song pops up in the course of an either a show or a lecture or a presentation. I pull it out. It's kind of like medicine, right? You have certain songs that I think evoke conversation. One of the things I love, I mean, I wrote that song. I love it. But one of the things I love about that story is that it calls into question who's a hero and who isn't. And in his time, the guy who saved my great-grandfather, his name was actually Mac Binion. If you go down to that area, there is now a Mac Binion IV who was an attorney. But then Mac Binion was the classic white landowner who had sharecroppers working for him. And my great-grandfather was one of his sharecroppers. He really didn't have to pull a gun to defend my great-grandfather. Only th- his word was law. The only thing he said is, don't mess with him. Yank had no business messing with him because you know he's crazy. And he didn't say he's crazy. He said he's a crazy in. And that was it. That's all he needed. Now, was my, you know, was this guy who we would easily brand in 2018 as a racist because of the way that the N-word would just flow off his tongue? Is he a hero or is he a villain? Well, he's kind of like both. He represents this system that was pretty oppressive. And he was probably racist the way we define racism now. But on the other hand, he had this sense of fair play and justice. That a person who, a man who was productive should not be preyed upon by men who were trash. And about doing violence to a man for standing up for himself. It wasn't going to happen on his watch or his plantation. So I like that because rarely are we ever 100% good or 100, usually not even 100% bad. There's these varying shades of ambiguity. Go back to the Bible. Why is Jesus always talking about good Samaritans? And he was a Samaritan, and he turned around and said, thank you. Why? Because in that time, you didn't expect much from a Samaritan. But sometimes a Samaritan surprised you in being more a son of God than even someone from Jerusalem. I think that if Jesus were alive telling that parable today, it would be the good Muslim parable. Yeah, exactly. Mind you, I've got enough friends and I've lived amongst Muslims and such, and they're as good as any of us are. I mean, they're just, they're doing their lives and some people do well and some of us do less well. But Jesus pointing out that this person who perhaps a number of people in the United States will despise or look down on or wait, which one is acting like God's child? Exactly. It's like, you know, you talk about unpopular sermons, but... You're in a Bible class and, and you say, OK, now, you know, let's substitute the word. And he was a Muslim or and he was a Mexican or as he was whoever it is that you don't like today, <laughs> you know, and you start to understand that the impact of what Jesus was talking about was that you either bring it or you don't. It's either internally a part of who you are or not. And so I, that's that's one of the things I love that you know, art does and songs do, that it causes you to do a little jujitsu and you, you realize that you've been up into And a lot of your beliefs, your hard and fast rules about what is or isn't true 
are upended by the reality of life. Well, Robert, we're at the end of the time that I'm supposed to be keeping you here, but I'm not going to let you go without one more song. Folks, we have been speaking with Rev. Robert Jones. That's how you'll find him on the web, RevRobertJones.com. The link's on NorthernSpiritRadio.org. Let's share at least one more song. How can we finish out? And again, the reason I've had you here for Spirit in Action is because I want to lift up the lives of people doing good things, healing work for the world. And I know what you do both in your pulpit and what you're doing in the musical pulpit as you're going around touring is about healing the world. So I'd love one more example that you can say, I did this song and I saw the world get better because I did it. Let's put the heavy burden on you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's heavy. I recently was doing this song and a woman came up to me. I, I did Will Cunningham, in fact. And this woman came up to me and she said, that was what my soul needed, which is not what you often get when you're doing a performance or something, you know, especially when people are dancing to the blues. And I asked her what that meant. And she said what that meant was not only did she get the sense of how blues is authentic, it's not just just throwaway hip hop. Now I won't say hip hop because that's not fair to hip hop. This throwaway kind of popular music, popcorn music but that she was getting the fact that this was like the expression of people who were going through real-life situations. And then she said, when I heard that song about your great-grandfather, it took me back generations to my ancestors who were starving farmers on Taiwan. And I thought, whoa. (laughs) Whoa. And I'm like, man, you know, I guess this music is healing when you think about that, right? So I guess... I'll do one that I didn't write that people probably, well, is instantly recognizable. But again, you put it in context and you go, oh, okay, not bad. So Sam Cooke, who went from being a gospel singer to a soul singer to, I really think, a folk singer with this song. And people understand that Back in the day when Sam Cooke was recording songs in the 60s, you had a, a record and it had an A-side and a B-side. So a lot of his A-sides are really like these upbeat songs like, you know, She's only 16, only 16, I loved her so. You know, it's that kind of stuff. But then he gets denied entry to a hotel and it's the height of the strife and the civil rights movement. And he writes a song. Goes on the B side of a record called Shake. And Shake was a good song, but it's not as cool as the B side. I was born by a river in a little tin. Oh, and just like that river. I've been running ever since It's been a long, long time coming But I knew change gonna come Oh, yes it will It's been too hard living I'm afraid to die I don't know what's up there 
time coming, but I knew change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. And I go to the movies and I go downtown. Somebody always telling me they don't want me. by him and beautifully done by you well, thank you so this is one of those songs when you a lot of times it's like johnny cash's later work you know when you hear it stripped down just a vocal and a guitar it kind of evokes something different although i must admit nobody sang that song like sam cook but uh, <laughs> but it's kind of cool you know when you get a chance to represent represent and represent a song in a different way so thank you so Robert Jones claims he's no Sam Cooke on that he song. No Sam Cooke. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're near and dear to my heart. I appreciate so much you doing the work from the pulpit, from the podium, from the all the places where you're going to speak to the world. You're doing it with your passion and your patience. You're doing the work that's going to make this world a step better. It's a hard time. It is. It's a hard time not to give in to hate, and I don't sense hate in you. You know, it's like hate is like drinking poison, and I'm waiting for you to die. <laughs> you know, it's like it just doesn't make any sense. Jesus says in the Word, sometimes the children of darkness are wiser than the children of light. And in a sense, it's like we sit on our gifts and we just want to like be around people just like us and, and, and not be vulnerable. But those who hate, they want to spread hate. They want to see hate happen everywhere, right? Those who love, we sit there and talk about, we should be more loving. And it's like we have tools, we have weapons, but our weapons are song and art and speech and preaching and love, the sword of the spirit. So I've been too blessed in my life to not use those gifts and to not let, I'll, I'll throw this one out. 
I was listening to a TED Talk a few years ago, and it talked about the difference between being a genius and having a genius. That before Descartes, the belief was that people had a genius. If you were an artist, your job was to be pure and sharp so that when God put something in your brain, you were the vessel, you were the conduit to your genius and it came through you. And then when it left you, it left you blessed, but it left you. And then you, your responsibility was to promote what had been given you. And then after Descartes, they said, we started to think of people as being a genius. Well, the problem with being a genius is you got to come up with something new all the time. <laughs> you got to, you, you actually get the arrogance of thinking it's yours. Right. And then you can do all kind of eccentric stuff and people say, ah, he's a genius. Yeah. So I like to think of myself as having a genius that we're all tools of God and God is beyond any name in any box that you put him in. But as God acts through you to do what he would have you to do, then if you're the conduit, if you're the straw, there's no way you're going to be the straw in the milkshake without getting some shake in you. Right. <laughs> so we're blessed to be to go back to San. There you go. Exactly. So we're blessed to get different kind of shake, right? So we're blessed to be. We're blessed to get the to have God in us. But you know, it's God working through us. We're not gods. The time we have on this earth is our responsibility. I think to find that which we were created to do and to do it to the best of our ability. You're certainly doing that work yourself. I think you are too, man. This is a great conversation. We had a wonderful time. Thank you for channeling what we need in this world at this time right now. Thank you. Thank you so much for driving down from Detroit, spending the time here in Toledo with us. And folks, you can find Robert B. Jones Sr. You can find him at the website RevRobertJones.com, the links on NorthernSpiritRadio.org. And we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. Thank you so much, Robert. Thank you, Mark. Had a good time. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on NorthernSpiritRadio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice, with every song, 